America. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. You might have heard tell that things are not well with our friends down under in Australia. Our Aussie friends are suffering under about the eighth week of really restrictive lockdowns because of the COVID. Our Aussie friends find themselves in a tough spot because their government is worried that the Delta variant and this third wave that is sweeping through Australia right now is going to hit a very susceptible population because Australia's vaccination rate is so low. It's only about 20%. But there's only about 25 million Australians you'd think you could fix this quickly. And the COVID numbers overall for Australia are far lower than other countries. So what's going on here? Well, we understand that COVID's a horrible disease. We've seen the numbers. We're not debating that. And people are talking about the Delta variant and vaccinations. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to reach out to Emily Dodge. She's our friend who's the Australian coordinator for Young Voices. She's a resident in Australia. She lives in Sydney with her partner. And ask her what's really going on on the ground here because while we discuss the nature of COVID and the disease and fighting the disease, part of what we haven't been discussing a whole lot of is the leadership and reactions of the governments beyond just fighting the disease and what's going on. We're going to ask her, and her background is in economics, how this has affected the Australian economy. Why is it that elected leaders down there like Scott Morrison are blaming the people not following the rules, while at the same time not taking responsibility for why Australia has lagged so badly in acquiring the vaccine and getting the folks vaccinated and these sorts of things. So we're going to turn down the noise on all the viral videos of troops in the streets and a lot of the screaming headlines about the draconian lockdowns in Australia and talk to somebody actually in Australia to find out what's going on from it. Not only that, but we're going to talk about lessons in leadership and what we can learn for the rest of the world going forward as everybody tries to get through this COVID-19 pandemic, but also try to figure out the best way to go about our lives under very difficult circumstances. So that's what we're doing today on Herd Tell. Emily Dye from Young Voices Australia, right after this. And through the magic and power of the internet, we're going to be talking to somebody actually in Sydney about what's going in in Australia. Uh, Emily Dye, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, or as well as I can be during lockdowns. Now, just to get it out of the way right off the bat, the lockdowns y'all are doing down there are not what we were doing here, where it was like, well, you could still go to the grocery store, you just had to wear a mask. These are real, full-blown lockdowns. We're talking military in the streets, the police are checking. Uh, what, what's actually going on on the ground? Because we see the viral videos, we hear what people are saying here in the States, but you're there. Explain it to us so that we understand it. Uh, yeah, we've got, I mean, they're pretty strict lockdowns. Uh, we can go out to the grocery store, but only one member of a household is allowed to leave um, per day. So 
I can go out to the grocery store and that means my partner cannot. Uh, we've got a few businesses that are still open, so you can still go get coffee. You can't go to restaurants. Um, there's food delivery services. Um, and the only other real reason to go outside is you're allowed to exercise. Um, though you have to wear a mask if you're not exercising vigorously. Uh, so a walk would probably require you to wear a mask. And the police are pretty heavily monitoring that. So. If you mess up, the fine for not wearing a mask is $500. The fine for being out without a reasonable excuse is $2,000. Uh, so you can pretty easily be bankrupt by uh, messing up the COVID rules. So we're on what, day 45, 46 of the real strict lockdown in the Sydney area now? How long has this been going on? Uh, it's been going on since the end of July, um, or excuse me, end of June. And... Uh, it just keeps getting extended. So it's going to be a week to start with. It's then going to be two weeks. Um, right now, I think we're set to end the beginning of September, I think September 4th. Uh, however, I think most Sydney siders and most Australians looking at that date kind of cynically and are pretty, yeah, we're pretty jaded. We don't know if it really will end. It feels unlikely that it will. Uh, right now, we're still getting a decent number of cases or a decent number of cases for Australia. Uh, we freak out over very few cases because we really haven't had the same amount of COVID as you've had in the United States. So a uh, good example is the ACT, our capital territory. Uh, they locked down over one case and they're doing the same thing that we're doing here. So I don't see us getting to zero cases anytime soon. And so we probably will be in lockdown pretty much <laughs> It feels indefinitely at this point. And part of that is because the vaccination rate there is only, what, 20, 25 percent as compared to America, where we're, you know, creeping up on 60, 70 percent, at least partially vaccinated. Uh, Australia is kind of lagging behind for a number of reasons, aren't they? Uh, yes, that's correct. Um, I'm excited because this week they finally approved Moderna. Uh, it only took millions and millions of people getting vaccinated with Moderna abroad uh, for our TGA, our Therapeutic Goods Administration, excuse me, the Therapeutic Goods Administration to finally say that Moderna is safe. Uh, so we can use Moderna um, or will get Moderna very soon. And that should hopefully increase the rate of vaccination. Uh, they still haven't improved Johnson & Johnson. I don't even know if they're looking at it. Um, so we're kind of behind on the approval process and we're even further behind on the procurement process. So a lot of the policymakers in Australia will say, well, the people aren't getting vaccinated. And it's in large part because they're not eligible to get vaccinated or they, the vaccines aren't available. Uh, they're trying to get people that are younger to take AstraZeneca, uh, but there are risks with AstraZeneca and you have to get a doctor's exemption in order to take it. And so a lot of people are choosing not to do that. They're choosing to wait, which seems reasonable. Um, and yet we're really being blamed uh, as being like anti-vax, which I don't think is the case or is really fair to the Australian people. Yeah, you've been doing something with your writing on the subject, uh, your most recent piece in 1828 that folks can find. Uh, I was writing on it uh, myself as well, but it seems like before we get into all the nomenclature and the numbers and the stats, we talk about the, the kind of the terminology and we get into the numbers and all this with the COVID stuff, but it seems like a lot of the problem with this starts actually with just basic level leadership. You've been touching on that in your writing that even beyond the unique problems that Australia is having with, you know, getting the virus, the vaccine in, things like this, 
there's just some base level leadership issues that you're taking with the Australian government and some of the same things we're seeing with the American government of, hey, leadership isn't communicating well, they're not being consistent and things like this. Talk about that for a little bit because you've been writing about it and the longer this drags on, the more I think folks are going to not be dazzled by the numbers and start going to, well, wait a minute, where's our leaders in all of this? Yeah, there's a lot of confusion. The rules change quite rapidly. Uh, one day, uh, you could be going about your normal life. Uh, there's a co- case of COVID, and by 5 o'clock p.m., you have to be locked down, be in your house. Uh, they did this in Newcastle, Australia, um, which is part of the New South Wales uh, state. And they gave people until 5 p.m. to lock down, and then they backdated it. So if you hadn't been locked down, if you weren't home uh, by 10 a.m. that morning prior to the announcement, then you had to return back to Newcastle and lock down. So if you'd visited Newcastle and left or um, you were from Newcastle, but you had left, uh, you had to go back. Um, And they basically backdated the lockdown. And if you didn't comply, then you faced very high fines. So there's a lot of confusion. It's a lot of sudden changes, which are very hard on the people, I think. It's hard to plan. Businesses can't plan ahead. They don't know if they're going to get locked down and they're not going to be allowed to serve their customers. And a lot of the rules are somewhat unclear and somewhat vague. Uh, we've, uh, we had an incident pretty recently where they were saying, you have to wear a mask if you're waiting at a coffee shop. But then we have photographs of our premier, um, which is kind of like the governor of our state, at a coffee shop without a mask. And so there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misinformation. Um, people aren't sure if they have to wear a mask outside. They're not sure what is vigorous exercise. If I'm an 80-year-old and I'm walking, that's pretty vigorous for me. Uh, but we did see an old man tackled um, by police and arrested because he wasn't wearing a mask. And he was like, I'm out exercising. And he was out with his partner. He's an older man. And so well, walking doesn't appear to be vigorous exercise. Maybe if you're 80, it is. So there's a lot of, um, it's very vague and a lot of it's just up to the police. So the police can issue on the spot fines. The police can enter your residence without a warrant uh, if they suspect you're breaking a COVID rule. And so we've lost a lot of freedoms and a lot of it's really just up to a single person, the police officer at that moment to decide whether you are breaking the law or not breaking the law. We've lost trial by jury and we've lost that idea of innocence until proven guilty. And how's it landing culturally? Because, you know, our Aussie friends, we always think of them uh, from afar. You know, they're very outdoor-centric people. They're very outgoing, very laid back, very much enjoying life type of thing. This seems so counter to what we think of when we think of our Australian friends. How's it landing culturally, not just politically with folks that like, hey, this big part of our identity culturally has just been kind of, you know, taken away at the stroke of a pen and we don't really have any recourse with it right now? I mean, I think there's a huge divide in Australia right now. Uh, People are kind of at each other's throats. We have one side that's daubing people in uh, for perceived breaches of the rules. If you have someone over at your house, your neighbor might turn you into the cops. And so there's that kind of thing that's going on with one side. And then on the other side, people are getting fed up and they're getting tired. We had a protest quite recently where 15,000 people or so showed up in Sydney to protest the lockdowns. It was huge. People were there were people outraged about it. They're like, they're, they're causing a super sputter event. But on the other side, clearly there's a lot of people that are willing to take huge risks in order to get out there. Uh, they're clearly angry. They're clearly upset. And protesting could easily land you in jail. It could easily land you with an $11,000 fine, um, which if you don't have a job because of COVID could really put you in some financial hardship. 
So people are risking a lot in order to get out there and to have their voices heard because I think a large portion of the population uh, feels like they aren't being heard and like they really can't do anything. They feel very powerless. And then you have the other side um, where people are ridiculing those who they think are breaking the rules. Uh, they're blaming other Australians for breaking the rules. Uh, they think that the lockdowns are the fault of other Australians instead of the government. And I find that there's a lot of tension there and I'm saddened to see the people that are so supportive and that are attacking their fellow Australians as opposed to banding together and doing that. We are in this together idea. We've kind of lost that at this point. So it's a divide between the people that are frustrated with the lockdowns, frustrated with the government who've lost a lot and the people that are still quite happy with lockdowns and think that COVID is the most important thing. You uh, you wrote in your own piece, one of those Australians that were blaming other Australians was actually Prime Minister Scott Morrison. You wrote it this way. You said, but instead of taking responsibility, politicians are blaming the people for the spread, accusing us of not following the rules or refusing to get vaccinated. Prime Minister Scott Morrison stands up at press conferences and reprimands the public for each new outbreak instead of recognizing that the system, not the people, are the problem. Is that the divide? Is it, you know, in America, we're always constantly talking about, you know, big government people against small government people, things like this. Is is that the divide there of folks that think, well, the government just isn't getting it right? And then there's the pro-government folks that are saying, well, the people just can't get it right and never the two seem to be meeting right now? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, there's on the government side, we have Scott Morrison that thinks that the increase in cases isn't because lockdowns don't work. It's because the people are disobeying the rules and the people are... Um, are causing the problem. And I don't think that's fair to the Australian people. I also don't think it's fair to ask Australians to lock down the way we have. Uh, you cannot go and visit someone. If you live alone, that's really hard. Um, you don't have that, that basic human interaction. And with it going on indefinitely, we're seeing a lot of people that are getting to the breaking point. Uh, so I don't think it is at all fair to blame those people that are just trying to get by, that are just trying to survive. Even if they do break a rule, um, if they do go outside for too long, if they go visit their friends in the park, like if they do something that would be considered breaking the rules or if they travel too far, we've had people that have gotten um, arrested or uh, fined because they've simply gone outside that five kilometer radius that they have to be in um, from their house. So there, there's a lot of people blaming the people and I don't think that's fair at all. Um, we've seen an increase in um, mental health issues. We've Our suicide hotline, Lifeline, has reached yet another all-time record as a result of the lockdown. I think that's scary and I don't think that Clearly, lockdowns aren't working, if that's the case. I don't think people can um, can obey them to some extent. Um, if you're suicidal and you need to get out, if you need to see another human being, um, or you're going to off yourself, I'd say that's a bigger priority uh, than COVID. And yet we're not recognizing it. We're not recognizing that the lockdowns don't give enough leeway for people to make good decisions and make the best decisions for themselves. Uh, and instead, we're attacking those people that may have made a very good decision and may have saved themselves or another by getting out. Um, and yet we're still attacking them. So I find that very disheartening. I do think that a lot of Australians though are are beginning to come together, are getting tired of the lockdowns, are very frustrated with the government. And I think that number, that group is growing. And so I'm hopeful, I'm very hopeful um, that the Australian people will come together and will finally tell the politicians that this is enough. You guys are the problems, your policies are the problems. It's not the people that are the problem. 
And your background is actually in economics, so let's talk about some of those policies and programs. There, There's a definite supply chain issue with getting things like the vaccine into Australia right now that's exacerbating all this, isn't it? Which seems like, you know, hearts and minds is a hard thing to deal with, but that seems like a tangible thing that, hey, this is a good government role to step in and do something. Why isn't more being done here? I mean, yeah, there aren't that many people in Australia, so we should be able to vaccinate and the government should be able to procure the, enough vaccines for everyone. There's only 25 million of us. So that's a small fraction of the number of people that you have to vaccinate in say the United States or in Europe. Yes, we have to fly them in on planes. And I think part of our problem is we aren't flying planes back and forth to Australia right now. Uh, passenger, um, passenger planes have been cut in half. Uh, the number of people that are allowed in, even Australians can't get into Australia. And those holes of those planes are now not filled with vaccines like they would be otherwise. So I think if we did have more free movement between Australia and the rest of the world, we probably would have had an easier time getting the vaccines into Australia um, and getting our population vaccinated. Instead, we've closed off, we've locked our borders, and we are Fortress Australia. And even vaccines can't seem to get through. And that's very concerning. And I think that's a huge failing on the part of our government. Um, You can't blame the people for not procuring the vaccines. That's not something that is their responsibility. And we've just, yeah, and we haven't been approving the vaccines at the same rate as the rest of the world, which is also quite concerning. Um, While the rest of the world has a large selection of vaccines, uh, they can get Moderna, they can get Johnson & Johnson. Um, They have all of these options. We only have Pfizer and AstraZeneca, and the supply of Pfizer is so low that most people can't access it anyway. And so you have to be in one of those most at-risk groups in order to access Pfizer. And that leaves AstraZeneca, which a lot of people aren't able to take for um, their own medical reasons or because they are too young and their doctor's advising against it. And so I don't think we can blame the people for not getting vaccinated. I think that's 100% a government issue. Uh, our TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, has fallen short in the approval process. And it's not just outside Australia coming in. There's been some voices in the Australian media and commentarian that feel like state to state that there's some bias there, that they think Sydney and New South Wales is getting uh, a little bit more focused than like Queensland or Victoria. There's also some interstate pressure, for lack of a better term, on how uh, this stuff is being administered by the by the government. I- explain it to Americans because I don't think Americans get a good handle on just how big geographically Australia is. And then you have a very coastal dominant uh, population and then a whole lot of middle in the middle. Uh, how is that affecting all this? Because there's, there's some of that creeping up now, too, of like, hey, why are we making rules for Sydney that's applying to everybody else and so forth? Kind of like we had in the early day of COVID in America, where it was like, it's bad in New York. Why are we doing this in certain areas instead of adapting a little bit more flexibly? Uh, yeah. I mean, Australia is weird in that we have these giant states and then each state essentially has its city. So you've got Sydney in New South Wales. You've got Melbourne in Victoria. You've got Canberra in um, the Australian Capital Territory. You've got Brisbane in Queensland. And so it's a single city for this giant state. And these states, it takes hours and hours to drive across them. I think um, you're talking like 10 hours to get from the outskirts of New South Wales into Sydney. So it's a very long, uh, very long drive, very long distances. The majority of the population is in those city centers. Uh, I think it's 0.22% of the land is all we're really using in Australia. The rest of it's just open space. Um, And part of that is because 
that land isn't habitable. Uh, we've got the outback, people aren't living out there, but we still don't use very much of our land. And so people are very much collected into these small, small areas. We do have rural communities and they aren't experiencing COVID in the same way as our larger cities. It's very hard. I don't even know how you would get COVID in say Dubbo or one of these smaller towns out in the middle of nowhere. So you got to get on a plane to get out there. People aren't traveling quickly, like regularly back and forth between these small regional communities and the bigger cities. There aren't international people coming into those small towns. So they're pretty protected. And that's been very good because the small towns tend to be more vulnerable. They don't have the same resources as larger cities. On the converse, our small towns have been hit pretty hard in that they are far away from the cities and often will have, uh, say, a small town that's on the border, is on the border of Queensland and in New South Wales that is in New South Wales. The closest city is Brisbane. It may be a two hour drive to the hospital in Brisbane, but they can't access that because the borders are closed and they have to get an exemption to drive across the border to get to Brisbane. And so if they're um, they have a medical issue. They've been forcing people from those small towns on the outskirts of New South Wales to drive, say, eight, 10 hours to the hospital in Sydney. Uh, so there's been a, a lot of pressure there. And I think our small towns and our regional areas are suffering more because of the border restrictions than they are from lockdowns. Uh, we've locked our state borders in a way that I think would be very shocking in the United States. You wouldn't see, say, like, Washington and Oregon having a hard border between each other. That would be shocking. Uh, but that's what we've got right now in, uh, in Australia. It's you, if you're in New South Wales, you can't get out. Uh, you have to get a, an exemption to go, say, to your family member's funeral in a different state. Uh, and you have to ask the government to get out. So that's been hitting our rural communities. And that's one of the things that uh, people are very unhappy about is those border restrictions more than anything in many ways. Um, in, the, in the cities, it's more the lockdowns that are that people are concerned about. Now, in the Australian system, what's their recourse on things? I know you mentioned the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA, be roughly analogous to like our FDA or something like that in America. When you have these regulatory bodies that are, are handing down these kind of things like limiting vaccines, and then the government's also, on the other hand, limiting travel for people that aren't vaccinated, and you're like, well, wait a minute, we can't have vaccines. We, you know, people just feel like there's nowhere to go and no hope here. What's their recourse? Is there elections coming? Is there uh, I know we've seen more and more protests, but obviously that's iffy with the fines that they're talking about levying. What's the recourse for the average Australian right now as they go forward? As Like you said, there doesn't really seem to be an end in sight coming here. I've seen a lot of the popularity for the Liberal Party, which is essentially the Republican Party. Um, I think that'd be the closest comparison. Um, they're, they're losing a lot of support right now. They're in power. Scott Morrison is a Liberal Prime Minister, and uh, people are less happy about the liberal government and they voted for the liberal government because they said that they were for freedom and they said that they were the government that would allow choice they were the government that cared about the economy that cared about uh, your jobs and we haven't seen that in covid so people are leaving that party and the liberal democratic party is the libertarian party here in australia people are moving to that party and it was a very minor party uh, prior to this and they have gained quite a bit of support recently as a result of people being upset about the lockdowns uh, the only other way that I've seen people able to really show that they're upset has been going to protests. And we've seen a lot of protests, particularly in Victoria. Uh, as soon as there was a lockdown within hours, people were out on the street protesting. Uh, they were the state that had the harshest lockdowns of any state 
uh, in Australia, they were locked down for much longer than anywhere else. And they were the place where we had the most COVID cases, the largest spike. They were also the state that suffered the most from lockdowns. And so I think this time around, they're like, no, don't do it to us again. We don't want to lock down. And when they were locked down, they weren't even allowed outside for more than an hour a day. So they were allowed to go out and they could either get their groceries or exercise. You couldn't do both. Um, and so it was very harsh, um, more so even than we're facing right now in New South Wales. And so those people have been coming together and protesting. Uh, there's been a lot of pushback on social media, uh, but uh, Australia does not have uh, freedom of speech in the same way that we have freedom of speech in the United States. And so you can't say certain things on social media or you could face fines and you could face arrest. So if you're talking, if you're speaking out in uh, support of the protesters, if you're encouraging people to go out and protest, uh, you could risk a very large fine. You could risk jail time as a result of trying to get people to go to the protests and um, showing support for the protests. So that's been a, a bit of hardship there is we can't speak out online. If we go to the protests, then we risk um, imprisonment. So there isn't that much recourse for the Australian people that are upset about this. Uh, it feels very authoritarian right now in Australia. One of the things that's really driving the conversation around COVID-19 in America right now is, of course, American schools are either just now or over the next couple of weeks as we get towards September going back to school. Uh, obviously, the last two school years were both interrupted by COVID. When you start messing with people's kids, it changes people's perspectives. Is that happening in Australia? I know there's been some issues with schools. We can see it in the Australian media and some of the commentary. But like you said, folks have to be careful how they complain about something. Is something like the school situation on top of the medical situation driving how people are viewing this crisis there? Yeah, I think so. I think parents are really upset. I think probably... If I'd say there's a group of people that has suffered most as a result of the lockdowns, it's probably students and it's probably high schoolers. It's those kids that were expecting to graduate that put so much in uh, over the last 12 years to get to graduation and to no longer can graduate. Um, it's the younger kids that are now going to be behind as a result of this and have to play catch up. So I, I do think that parent, parents are probably quite upset. I haven't been as much in those circles because um, I don't myself have kids, but I know that they're the group of people that is probably suffering more than anyone. Uh, we've seen a huge increase in uh, teens self-harming. Um, uh, teens weren't, were worrying about teen suicide. Those are huge concerns right now in Australia because of the lockdown, because kids can't see their friends, they can't interact with other children, and they're falling behind in school. And what they thought was so important, their schoolwork, is been, they're being told is not important, is not the, the priority, and their education is not a priority. So I think that there is quite a bit of disgruntlement there. Um, there's still a lot of fear. Uh, the media has been um, pushing the fear mantra. I read an article just today in the Daily Telegraph talking about how the Delta virus, um, the Delta strain will hit the younger kids. And there's 30 people in Australia right now um, under the age of 19 with COVID, which isn't a lot for the rest of the world. The rest of the world's like 30, what? <laughs> um, but in Australia, we're like, oh my gosh, 30 people under the age of 19 have COVID. That's a huge concern. And so there is a lot of, there's still a lot of fear. And I think that's probably keeping people somewhat more quiet than they would otherwise. I'm hoping that people's priorities do switch around and they start looking not just at the short term, but also the long term and looking at where these kids are going to be in 10 years as a result of these lockdowns. The other part of this, we already mentioned your background is actually in economics. Uh, this has got to be affecting the economy of Australia, I would think, perhaps long term, maybe even. What What is people's views on this economically? Because if, if you're locked down in your homes, 
Commerce is pretty much ground to a halt. Australia has already been kind of having a little bit of a trade tiff with China and some other partners before this even happened. What's the economic outlook going forward for Australia if they can't kind of get a handle on this, if they can't get the vaccines up, if they can't get the lockdowns turned back down? Uh, Is this something that people are concerned this could be very, very damaging to the economy in Australia? Uh, Absolutely. And with the last lockdown, we saw a pretty quick recovery, but a lot of that was in the public sector. So the government's hiring and the government's hiring in bulk. And as a result, it's kind of in, it shifts the numbers. So it doesn't look as much uh, like we're having the economic downturn that we are. But if you work in the private sector, if you own a private business, those are the people that are struggling the most right now. And they are really struggling to just survive. Uh, Seen I, the other day, Back when I could walk to work, um, and I was still going to work, uh, I decided to count the number of businesses that had gone down just on my 20-minute walk, and there were 14 businesses that had boarded up, were closed, um, gone forever as a result of these lockdowns. So I think very much on the ground, people are feeling it, and the economy is suffering. However, the numbers don't necessarily reflect that because the government is pumping so much money into our economy, and that really isn't sustainable. Um, having our economy built on government employees and government paychecks and government pensions probably isn't going to is not a good long-term strategy and our debt is increasing rapidly uh, more so than we've seen in a very long time uh, australia doesn't have the same struggles with debt as the united states does uh, but we now do we now are having a very rapid increase in debt and again that is not sustainable particularly as you mentioned uh, with china and with china uh, being so dominant in the area. And they have been punishing us with trade restrictions and they're one of our major trade partners. Uh, so when we said we wanted an investigation into what happened with COVID, the Chinese government started sanctioning our beef, started sanctioning um, our wines. There was a big push to uh, drink Australian wine uh, because the Chinese government stopped buying our wine. And wine, the wine industry in Australia is very large. It's one of our key industries. and so. We were really struggling as a result of that. So I think that, yes, the Australian economy is in a very precarious situation. We are, our numbers are based on government spending and government jobs and not on a strong, um, strong private sector. Is there a sense among the citizenry in Australia, they're, they're very nat- nationalistic, and I mean that in a complimentary way, they're very proud to be Australian. Is, is there a sense of that when they're like, hey, China is an economic foe right now, we need to buy our own products, these sorts of things. Are they aware of those sorts of geopolitical things? Is is the What's the climate uh, media-wise for just kind of the common Australian? Are they aware of that? Are they aware of that tension? Are they aware that, hey, we're, we're falling behind here as long as we're in lockdown? How's that landing with the average folks on the streets in places like Sydney? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the Australian people are very much going to step up. So when Australia, or excuse me, when China starts sanctioning our goods, then the people are right there and be like, well, we'll buy that. So there was a big um, a sanction on lobsters and all of these lobsters were going to go buy. So people, bad. And so people were buying lobsters. They're like, I don't know how to cook a lobster, but I guess we're having lobster because they're supporting the lobster industry. Good problem to have. Um, yeah, exactly. I was like, cheap lobster? It's not too bad. Um, so a bunch of people were buying up these goods. The same happened with Australian wine. There was a huge campaign to buy Australian Australian wine, drink Australian wine, uh, when the Chinese government started sanctioning us. So there is a lot of patriotism in Australia, and Australians are very ready to step up and be like, we'll fill the gap. Okay, this industry is struggling. We'll, we'll buy their goods, and we'll buy Australian. And so I've been encouraged by that, and that's really good to see. Um, there's a lot of support for local businesses. Australians 
very much want to support uh, support their local, uh, which is also very good. But right now, their local can't go can't do business, so we don't have many options. Where's the hope for uh, the Aussies? We always want to give folks hope when we're talking about these really difficult issues. Is it, like you said, there's only 25 million of you. You would think that if you could get the the vaccines in, the vaccination rate could go up really rapidly. Is it, you know, some kind of an election situation where you have a changing government? What's kind of the near-term, mid-term, and far-term hopes for the Australian folks going forward as they continue to try to tackle COVID through the next couple of months? I think the Australian people are very tough people, and and think that they will build back. Um, they're not the kind of people that lies down and goes, well, this sucks. Um, I think they're ready to be like, to get back to work and to try to rebuild their economy. And so I have a lot of faith in the Australian people being able to bring us back from both the economic downturn um, and the results of COVID. I think that Australians are very eager to get out there and to get vaccinated vaccinated. I've seen a lot of people on social media when they get their vaccines, like huge celebration. They're like, I got my vaccine. I did it. And so there is a lot of that community camaraderie and that's the community coming together in order to get vaccinated, to get us through this. Um, I think that people are very anxious to get back to work and to start bolstering the economy. They're anxious to buy Australian goods and contribute to the Australian economy. On the governmental side, I don't see that many options for the Australian people. Um, the Liberal Party was supposed to be the party that supported the economy, the party that supported freedom, uh, the party that was letting us live our lives. And that's not happened. Uh, the Premier of New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian, she was saying she was anti-lockdown. Uh, she said she wouldn't lock us down. She cared about um, cared about our freedom and she wasn't going to chase this zero cases. But that's not what we've seen in the last month or so is she's backflipped. Um, turned around and is doing exactly what she said she wouldn't. And so I've been very disheartened and very disappointed in her and in her government, as well as in the federal government. Our premier, he is again a liberal and he is supposed to support freedom um, and supposed to let Australians to pick their own level of risk. Uh, instead, he has been very authoritarian. He's pushing a very authoritarian mantra and he's blaming the Australian people. And that's very disheartening to see. The other options are the other major party is the Labour Party, and that is essentially the Democrat Party. And they are pushing this, and they are very much pushing for the lockdowns, and that party is very supportive of the lockdowns. So as far as major parties go, I don't think that there really is that many options for the Australian people. That said, unlike the United States, we do have minor parties, and our minor parties actually can get into office. You can get a minor party senator, whether it's the Greens or it's the Liberal Democrats, or Bob Catta's party, you can have a small party that comes up and um, actually does have influence. So I'm hopeful to see our Libertarian Party uh, come into fruition and start growing and um, start influencing the political conversation more so than in the past. I think that's one of the things we'll see is more minor parties and more minor parties is never a bad thing. It means that there's more voices in the conversation, um, more people that are willing to stand up against the big um, the big parties, the monoliths that have had so much power for so long. So I'm hopeful to see that happening in the in the very near future. Which brings us back to your piece as a good way to wrap this up. You said, and I'm quoting you here, politicians simply want to be able to say, quote, I did everything in my power to stop COVID, end quote. When re-election season comes around, everyone else is less impressed. You think that's going to hold up? Do you think the Australian people are going to remember all these lessons that they're learning kind of the hard way while they're locked away when it comes to their leaders in the future? And do you think that's going to maybe target some change on how they view their leadership in the future like we're kind of doing right now in America? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that we're going to see more uh, diverse vo voices in Parliament as a result of that. I think that probably the major the major parties, whether it's Labour or Liberal, will probably stay in power. Uh, but I think we're going to have more voices coming into the political discussion, and that's that's always a good thing. And we will have more conflict there, which is also a good thing. It means that the big uh, the big parties don't have as much power, can't get away with doing as much as what they of the, what they want um, and just running over the top of the people. We do have the little guys coming up and that will bring a different voice to the conversation. She's Emily Dodge. She is the Australian coordinator for Young Voices. Uh, tell the folks where they can find your stuff going forward, your writing, uh, your writing and published all over the place, your social media. Let folks know where they can continue to follow you and follow these stories on what's going on in Australia and the other things that you're interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on my website, emilydye.com, and also on my Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, which is emily underscore die. Um, uh, feel free to DM, DM me, um, to tweet at me, and I will respond. And you can find all my articles on my website. And I write on economic issues. I write on the nanny state. I write on freedom. We'll definitely have you back on the nanny state stuff. You just uh, I saw you writing about uh, comparing the Great Britain nanny statism over obesity and some of the stuff the Aussies might be looking to do on that. But that's another topic for another day. So we'll definitely have you back sometime soon, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Andrew. Hey, thank you for the time and the information, ma'am. Really appreciate it. You know, whether it's COVID or any of the other issues we dealt with here on Hertel, like the opioid crisis or politics or whatever, the old adage still holds, everything rises and falls on leadership. So while we are dealing with the disease and lots of people want to talk about how the disease needs to be fought, and it does, and the death toll is horrific and the cost in human lives is bad, we always should keep in perspective that when our elected leaders, whether they're in our country in America or in any other country or any kind of political leader worldwide, they have a responsibility to the whole of their population. That doesn't mean just solving the problem in front of them, but solving it in a way that leaves their people better off than when they started. It's hard. We don't want to be Pollyannish here. We understand that things like COVID, we're learning as we go on a lot of this stuff. Just 18 months ago, our viewpoint on what was and wasn't effective against COVID was completely different. Our viewpoint on the vaccine some six months into issuing them to folks is different than when it started. Information is constantly changing. Our leadership, political and otherwise, needs to be adaptable as well. And it seems like too often they tend to go into their ruts of their priors and what they usually do and try to just put their heads down and get through it. Leadership is hard. We should support our leaders and not just blast them all the time. But crisis is also revealing. So when we look back on COVID and once we mourn the deaths and worry about learning lessons for the next time, we should take a good long look at the leaders because these crises like COVID-19, no matter where you are in the world, are telling you a lot about the leaders that we have in power over us. And we should believe what they're telling us because it's crystal clear and evidence demands a verdict. They are what they tell us they are through their actions, not just their words when they're campaigning for office. 
That's it for Hertel. We so appreciate the growth we've seen. We've seen a really kind of a big jump for numbers for us. So whatever platform you're listening to this program on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, the YouTube page has some video content starting to go up on it, platform you're using to listen to us. If they give you the option, please leave a rating and a comment. Let us know. We'll try to reply to all the comments that we see. But those are really important. They tell not only the platforms, but other folks that this program is worth checking out. Doing a program like this isn't super flashy. We're not really chasing trends or trying to tap into existing trending things. But we continue to think it's important to do what our core principle at Hertel is, turning down the noise on the important things that you hear in the news cycle but get drowned out by the nonsense and getting to the information so you can discern it, apply it to your life, and understand these times that we live in. It's not going to get less complicated. It's only going to get more complicated. Technology is going to make things louder and louder. We need to be able to discern. We need to be able to understand our times. That's what we want to try to do at Herd Tell. Y'all have responded. We appreciate you so much for listening. As long as you keep listening, we'll keep doing it. Wherever you are, across the street or around the world, hope this finds you and yours well. Until we talk to you next time, y'all take care. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.